0: Welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here, hear news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I am your host, Fred, and that great theme music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. Reporting to you on October third, two thousand thirteen. I am looking at a bunch of dead leaves on the ground around me, which means it only can mean one thing. It is time for The Spooks to come out. Um, Another month of horror programming here on Radio Drama Revival. i in a time where... Uh, audio entertainment is proving to be uh, have have a lot much more life than originally anticipated. The rumors of radio drama's death greatly exaggerated. Um, all sorts of exciting things uh, coming out and evolving and being remembered. I recently was made aware of the Night Vale phenomenon. I cannot uh, say enough uh, the good things and surprise and delight at seeing um, an audio program become the sensation that Night Vale has. And um, it has this really delicious blend of the macabre, um, and that, that, and a really interesting format. Um, it's not say a, a standard radio drama in the sense that there are—it's a fictional world, and there's characters and actions, and and you're watching a scene. Uh, but it actually has a format where it uses the the, the radio experience as kind of uh, the premise for the storytelling mechanism, uh, which is just brilliant. Um, and you know, uh, various radio shows have included. Uh, radio announcers as part of the, the, the program, going you know back to War of the Worlds, of course, um, and uh, in various ways. Um, I've used it, others have used it um, in different ways. Um, Night Vale, kind of the whole premise, is based on having a, 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 an announcer uh, who is telling you uh, the, the the news, but the news is from a pretty odd town. Um, and anyways, uh, I'm hoping that we'll get a chance to actually uh, meet with the Night Vale creators or at least talk about um, and feature some of their their work on this podcast um, in the future, but um, I also wanted to sort of pay tribute to, uh, even if the the not literal um, artistic descendant, but sort of the spiritual ancestors um, in modern audio theater um, of shows like Night Vale. Um, Of course, going back uh, throughout uh, the the history of radio drama, there's great stuff from um, the Golden Age to CBS Radio Mystery Theater um, uh, and others. But uh, what really has come to mind, a show I hadn't thought about in a few years, was Wormwood. Uh, now, Wormwood started in 2007, eventually wrapped up by the end of 2010, and spun off into a comic book series uh, in 2011. I think they're actually still even releasing the Sparrow and Crow kind of side adventures. Set in a, a weird town in Los Angeles, off the beaten path a little bit, where weird things started to happen, uh, kind of a Twin Peaks-esque radio drama, supernatural, noir thriller. And um, Wormwood was just fantastic. Uh, the first season was just came on strong and uh, really kept you in suspense. Um, you know by today's standards and production values, or maybe uh, you know had, had some stuff they could work on. But gosh, the storytelling quality of storytelling was excellent. Um, it was one of these uh, beautiful case studies of uh, where the creators Jeremy Rogers and David Acampo had, you know c- could have been working in film um, or, or television. And uh, by the nature of today's media environment, they found themselves creating a podcast. And they were really, you know, among the first, uh, maybe among the first uh, serialized audio drama podcasts. Uh, They got a great following. Uh, they had this wonderful ongoing storyline with twists and turns and this funky little small town and the diner and the uh, Muddy Man legend, mysterious boxer dude living in the hotel and all sorts of mysteries and intrigue and uh, just something that really felt like it could be a full-on television show but delivered uniquely through the audio format. Um, so, soft spark in my heart, uh, still for Wyrmwood. Um the second season spent a lot of time kind of exploring this other angle and going into a lot of flashbacks and, and side trips and even some of their third season was um, going back through time and they introduced um, all this sort of stuff that um, if I was going to explain it to you now uh, we'd be here for a while so I, I recommend uh, if you like where this is all going to to dig into the archives of Wormwood. Um, but this is all a long way of getting to saying that I wanted to bring Wormwood back and, and shine a light On that show, now that uh, it has proven that a show like Night Vale has become such a sensation, it shows that uh, people are hungry for this kind of uh, dark, offbeat, Uh, mysterious kind of material um, and it's just thrilling as someone like myself who's been following audio drama for seven plus years uh, to see anything, any sort of audio podcast to get to the top of the charts is exciting and that it's an audio drama podcast and not something that originated from NPR is just awesome. So for all of us independent producers out there, uh, it gives us hope that um, that the, there really is an audience out there for just a matter of uh you know getting your work t- to kind of getting that kind of the right secret sauce as well as getting your work uh kind of to, to where the audience can can help spread the word about it themselves um you know the stuff that they're, they're doing like all this Vale fan art and stuff is just also uh, totally mind-blowing uh so anyways uh, we are getting into wormwood back to the, the point <laughs> thanks terge uh, back to wormwood uh so, so wormwood uh, we're gonna cut A part in season three. Now, season three is a revelation is the uh the final episodes. So if you want to listen to all of season one of Wormwood and then skip kind of like to the continuous storyline, you're actually gonna skip all of season two and most of season three to the revelations part of it. Um you can also listen to the whole thing, but uh you know there's a lot of side stories before you get back caught up to where the story is in the present tense after the events of season one. Whew, which is in the episode that we're going to hear today. Uh, now, Xander Crow uh, is imprisoned in this house, and he's being tortured uh, by this the demonic figure. Um, he is trying to get his freedom back, and we've got Sparrow, who may or may not be alive, trying to recover him, and then we have weird stuff happening in the town of Wormwood. Um, so back to the world of Jimmy Details in Deidre's Cafe, Wormwood, California. I uh, hope you enjoy Wormwood Season 3, Revelations Part 1.
1: of my life with these arcane tortures. Tortures that do
2: nothing but... Dr. chrome these painful moments each day are all that I have to make me smile. <laughs> Doom and gloom without me, isn't it, you sadist? I am dependent and I admit that I live to make you soften. In the absence of my nieces, I have dedicated myself to you
1: I hate to be the bearer of bad news but this hurt you like to inflict only hurts a little
2: yes I know but our meshing of a modern body with the cruel tools of a darker time will yield a different result today Dr. Crow the pain will be a spectacular halabaloo. what
1: what is that you're gonna go too far I'm kill.
2: Is your binding secure? Are your muscles stretched and held to their limit? Abacus. Please don't! Please! God is a traffic director. Have a one-way boulevard back to Chrome. God points that way. Do you see? That way. But perhaps you are not a believer. Considering your exploits in what we label a cult, I would be astonished if you are not one.
3: I uh, believe in...
2: God damning you! God is a direction. Nothing more than a navigational guide luring us away from our point of origin. Demons and angels, good and evil... (laughs) serviceable tools on a rare good day, but far too often, mischievous distractions. Please. I know this hurts to a mind-shattering degree, Dr. Crow, but... No! Please! Stop lecturing me! <laughs> <sighs> we must journey forward through the muck of human inclinations, Through the labyrinthine horrors of our minds. That way. The direction points that way. It is not about progress or enlightenment or evolution, but the assurances we do not regress and recognize our true selves. Fear keeps people from looking over their shoulders. Fear directs far too many of the sheep. Oh, hold that thought. I need to wind this up again.
4: Ah!
1: Fear controls the effing flock. The pain happens. If you don't, what are you trying to say?
2: You do not realize how carefully you stay within the lines. (laughs)
1: I've never been too much of an abstractionist!
2: But you are a supernaturalist. Devout as they come, Dr. Crow. So
1: you torture me to gain
2: some... I torture you for giggles. Nothing more. It makes me feel the loss of my nieces a bit less when I see you cry.
1: So little girls! We did drama!
2: I am aware of the circumstances involved. The physical loss of such precious girls has killed my lackadaisical ambition and motivated me to resist the direction. You see, Dr. Crow, I am a collector of antiquities. My frenzied passion is to find the backwards path through time. ...to the rim of our prebiotic broth.
1: (laughs) And you expect me to guide you?
2: Something went wrong in the beginning... ...and has affected the physical stratum... ...with an undeniable frailty.
1: You're afraid! That's what this is all about! You're afraid to... ...die!
2: I am only afraid of dying... ...in a world that houses ancient knowledge... As rare as the object of Wormwood, I must get my hands on the object. I must understand it. You could forget.
1: I won't go back. And if I could, I couldn't. I wouldn't. You have
2: the object. The utterance of such a simple word stirs a reaction still. You can feel it inside deeper than you can pinpoint. No! I won't! You will return to the Tibbert house in the town of Wormwood. No. Do you not realize that I have guided you to the house already? You were stagnating in booze and the mysteries of the drowned schoolteacher and the muddy man. So I tasked an associate to spin you around... And aim you directly at the old house. (laughs) Oh, Mr. Mysterio. Your friend
1: kicked my ass when I was drunk. Foul play.
2: Return to Wormwood, Dr. Crone. Return to the Tibbert house and take the object of Wormwood for me. The springs have run out again. Here. Let me give it one more sturdy wind up.
3: No, 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 no.
5: I think we passed a town sign back there that stated Wormwood. Could it be? Could be. This is your dream, Sparrow. I'm following you. I wonder if we're close to the quarry. There's all of this granite jetting out of the ground. But I've never been out here before. The details, tour only took me so far. How would I know where to... In and out of town in a flash? I had to rescue Xander. We didn't need to stay after I had his hand cut off.
4: You're a clever girl, but I don't think even you can rescue Xander Crow.
5: Hey, lady, you call him Dr. Crow. Not these days,
4: Sparrow. That fool's too lost in his own hell to be anything more than a raving lunatic. Uh, don't underestimate his expert cunning, or his cockroach-like ability to endure. Don't you want something to drink besides his Kool-Aid, Sparrow? I'll care for you without the horrific baggage that has shadowed everyone else who's ever tried to be close to you. I love you, Sparrow. You've turned out to be my favorite one. Look. there's the quarry? Sparrow,
5: didn't you hear what I just told you? It's not Warmwood's first quarry, though. Don't ask how I even know this. Ugh. He's an idiot. Damn Jimmy details in a sporadically updated blog. Give me details. You keep mentioning it. (laughs) It's all in the details. Ugh. If I had a gun, I'd get him out of my head once and for all. Don't talk
4: like that, my dear.
5: Yeah. So, I like to research. And I've learned that when it comes to the occult, the obscure sources are usually the most valuable. I unearthed a blog dedicated to the strange and unusual lore of Wormwood... Written by town bonehead Jimmy Details Esquire. Past the generic goat skulls and burning down candle gifts, there was some content worth reading. As the story goes, and keep in mind, this is told by a kid who prays to the altar of the D. Town founder Francis Griffin flooded the original wormwood quarry after unearthing some kind of relic.
4: The object of wormwood.
5: None other. Then, as all blog-posted HP fanfic demands, there was a superannuated beastly moving about the gaping hole left in the black granite.
4: Sparrow, you've lost me.
5: Yeah, I know, it's stupid. Now, this new quarry, while deeper than the first, was intended to stabilize the economic structure of town. Of course, that didn't happen, and Wormwood fell off the map and into trademark Lynchian seclusion. There was some cheapy, in-search-of, public-access show interest back in the day, but that short-lived endeavor reeked of some thinly-veiled attempt to introduce a Loch Ness monster into Wormwood For tourism to Griffin Lake, maybe. That story never panned out, as far as I can tell. Like I said, the basis for most of my Wormwood research was provided by a connoisseur of all that is shaded by Beelzebub's taint.
4: I don't understand why Abacus can't stop holding a grudge... You could be invaluable to his antiquities business.
5: Ew. I don't
4: want to talk about him. Abacus is a nimrod. But I suppose this vendetta of his has certain advantages. I get to keep you all to myself this way, and that's the way I like you best.
5: What's he been doing to Xander these past six months? Is he still kept down in that damp cellar with the rats?
4: Haven't I done more than enough to make you forget about Xander Crow? Yes,
5: of course you have. I'm sorry. I didn't mean any disrespect.
4: Oh, that's fine and dandy, my dear. Don't you worry one little bit about... Eh?
5: Oh, What's the matter, Miss Ginter? Shh.
4: There's someone there, Sparrow. Don't you see? At the edge of the quarry. Who else is in here with us? Who are you dreaming about?
5: Nobody. I... I I don't know. Did you hear that? In the wind, there was a song. A children's song about... a muddy man is watching you drip from his bounds till he finds you alone then the Muddy Man will... Behind you! It's, it's a the Muddy Man! man! It's got, got to me. me! Run!
1: Run! run! We, we have to fight it! to me! Go! Oh, I'll, I'll take care of care this! Get the hell out of here!
4: Rise and shine, Sparrow! Coffee's on the stove, so wakey wiki.
5: Mm. Thank you, Miss Genter. I'm going to need a bottomless cup this morning.
4: It's Tanzanian tea, berry. I ordered this roast from a catalog just for you. I even joined the Coffee of the Month Club.
5: Oh, you didn't have to do that.
4: I know how much you like coffee, and I'm so glad you're here, Sparrow. I know I tell you that nearly every day, but...
5: You're so sweet, Miss Ginter. But you're going to spoil me if you don't watch it.
4: I want you to be happy. I'll do anything to make you happy here with me.
5: I am happy. This room is fantastic, and this bed is so comfortable.
4: You're the best one I've ever had, and I want you to know that. All the other children were self-destructive... Abortions. But you, Sparrow, you're just lovely.
5: No well, you've gotten good through all of your past dead ends. I am happy, Miss Ginter. I really am. But
4: what's the matter, dear? Don't tell me you're still having nightmares.
5: Every night, Miss Ginter. I wake up after these awful dreams, and, and I know it's stupid, but with my bedroom door bolt locked from the hallway, I panic. I don't know why. I know that I'm safe, but I get spooked by my own mind and... And I let my imagination rampage. God, I've never seen so many scary things, Miss Ginter. I want to escape to your bedroom at night, so I... Oh,
4: Sparrow.
5: I don't know that Abacus will let me keep your door unlocked. You you still don't trust me, Miss Ginter? After six months? Shh. It's not me, dear. It's Abacus and his senseless
4: grudge. He just doesn't know you like I do. He's a fool.
5: Uh, I don't want to leave. I-, I won't run away.
4: Let me see what I can do, all
5: right? Okay, Miss Ginter. Thank you.
4: No oh, dear, sweetie. You're awake now. The bad dream's over. And I can smell the new coffee all the way up here. So up and at him. And don't you worry.
5: Tanzanian tea berry? Mmm, it smells so delish. Better than the chock full of nuts abacus likes.
4: I heard them. I just closed my book for the night and I heard the hallway floor squeak and the front
2: <laughs> door open. It is very exciting, is it not? I peered through the curtains and watched as they jimmied the lock and hotwired wired the Volvo. Funny. I assumed they would gravitate towards your Volkswagen.
4: Tonight was the first night I didn't lock her in the bedroom and now she's gone.
2: Why dawdle, Miss Ginter? I would say this enthusiasm for escape bodes well for us.
4: I hope you're happy, Abacus. She was the best one I ever took.
2: Oh, Miss Ginter, here we go again. That gothic girl was manipulating you as well. How can you not see it?
4: Abacus, your greedy, heartless, minge face! How can you even be sure they'll return to that town?
2: Because we directed them to go back to Wormwood, Miss Ginter. Or more to the point, I redirected Crow that way. That way. Right out there.
4: There aren't ceiling tracks outside of this godforsaken house. You can't even pretend to be in control
2: now that I should not have to remind you that I am a devious man. Have thoughtful machinations. But Abigail! Silence, woman! That is more than enough tear-jerking diffidence. You have known the intent to let them escape for six months. Now, I think a chorizo and cheese hot pocket sounds about right for breakfast. Oh, and Miss Ginter, I would appreciate it if you would percolate a real cup of coffee in the morning... We still have a tin of chock full of nuts in the back of the pantry. Nighty night.
1: Tell me again how you escaped.
5: Come on, Xander. I've already told you twice. If I tell the story again, it'll start to feel like I'm trying to fashion myself into some kind of action hero.
1: But you you killed that mean old witch in her own kitchen? Ha ha ha! That's simply fantastic!
5: <laughs> yeah, well... Brezier, what of him? Like I said, I heard him, but I don't think that...
1: But you don't know that he's dead. That's why we had to tiptoe through the house. I get it. Nonetheless, you
5: did a great job. You saved us. Sorry it took so long, boss. Traffic was a bitch, right? Something like that. Speaking of traffic and cars, we're almost out of gas, and I don't know where we're going. Going?
6: That's a good question.
1: Where are we going, Sparrow? We should probably ditch this Volvo before we get there.
5: There was a sign a few miles back for an all-night roadside diner. Sparrow,
1: you will need to brace yourself. I am going to order half of the roadkill menu and devour every morsel the only way a freed torture victim can.
5: Disgustingly! I hate to fall back into our old roles with such immediate aplomb, but Xander, we were in prison nearby for six months. Let's not make light of that fact. I say we keep moving. We'll find a new ride at the diner and then jet. I promise, we'll stop and eat after a few hundred miles.
1: My dear Sparrow, I've missed you. And I do hate to validate your fear of pattern emergence by ignoring your reasoning in this particular case, but... Ugh.
7: So, that's another flapjack special for Table 5, and this time he said to burn the British... That guy out there really digs your cooking.
3: A long night on the road can do that to the poor, unfortunate traveler. But hey, maybe there's a good tip at the end.
7: Not gonna happen. That girl he's with is only drinking coffee. She eats like a bird, and she's got that flighty look in her eyes. They're so gonna bolt.
3: (laughs) You're probably right. Pancake's coming up nonetheless. Maybe we can weigh him down, slow his mad dash.
7: So, have you, uh... Thought any more about what i said your freezer is right over there
3: listen you're very cute and all.
7: oh come on how can you deny me the experience of doing it to a one-armed man you're straight out of one of those old movies i used to watch in my dad the stranger comes to town he's like a fugitive or something and all he wants to do is keep his head down until he like meets
3: you're married And maybe you never saw the end of any of those flicks, but the stranger comes to town, gets in too deep with some woman despite his best efforts to keep a low profile, and then all bloody hell breaks loose. I'm not... No, I can't go down that road again.
7: How lonely for you.
3: A romp in the freezer pressed up against the batter and the rock-hard patties of meat would only be a third wheel to me and my torment. Like I told you when I started working here a few weeks ago, I'm passing through not looking for more baggage, and not looking to cause any trouble.
7: Well, then I guess I'll just keep doing kegels for now and then wake my husband when I get home. But if you change your mind, all you have to do is ring this bell.
3: Pancakes, burned muffin and bacon. Lots of bacon. Order up. Anything else I can get for you? I guess not. All right, then. I'm going to dump the trash and have a smoke out back.
1: Uh, You know, going through the motions with only one hand or only one arm in your case.
3: Xander Crow.
1: Imagine my surprise to notice a one armed cook in an out of the way roadside diner during the wee hours of the night. And not just any one armed act, mind you. Because, frankly, I've seen my fair share in pit stops such as these. For instance, I once found myself in a brawl with a one armed dwarf in a seedy truck stop outside Paducah, Kentucky, who had this annoying Pat Benetard jukebox fetish and a penchant for violent mind control of the patrons.
3: What are you doing here,
1: Crow? Right back at ya! Me, I'm escaping... Hold on, let me rephrase that. We are in the midst of escaping six hellish months of captive torture.
5: I'm the other half of the we. The name's Sparrow. I'm not sure if we've met, but I know who you are. You're that defamed boxer from Los Angeles. Fled down after some mob trouble? Familiar much, boss? You landed in Wormwood, dropped the name Valentine, and opened up a quaint bed and breakfast. And then things got weird.
3: Something like that, yeah. Our getaway car
1: had only
5: this much
1: gas, which turned out to be enough to get us right here. But that's not necessarily peculiar. But noticing a familiar face
3: during our breakaway kind of is.
1: Wouldn't you agree, Mr. Mason?
3: These days, no, not really. Maybe that's just me. I'm desensitized.
1: If only we could bottle desensitization.
3: Wouldn't that be neat?o Anyway, you were saying? I've lost everything I ever had. I'm only here to earn enough money to disappear. You've temporarily
1: fashioned yourself in the likeness of a short-order cook. I suggest the surname of Bixby when you go for the big identity change. I just want to be alone.
3: Forever. How stoic! To hide, hmm? I'm suspicious of all this, you know. Town went south after you bolted. Fires, riots, murders, monsters even. It's funny how quickly you get used to a world where vampires and werewolves exist. Too many B-movies have slipped into the cultural drinking well. Monsters I can live with. But that demon Adremolak was too much for me. Wait! Did you say Adremolak? That demon controls Wormwood. He wants the object and is tearing the town apart to find it. There's bad stuff happening there, but nobody's talking about it. Not anymore. Used to be on the news back when the fires started, but now it's like Wormwood just fell off the map. I'm sure that it did. Straight into hell. A Dremelak, dear God. Sparrow,
1: do you know what this means?
5: It means we know where we're going now. The problem is that there are only three cars parked here, other than the one we coasted in here with. There's some guy in a tropical shirt and a cheap fedora sleeping in one, and the other two are... Take
3: my truck. Just because I've turned away from the world doesn't mean you have to. Besides, I know I'm not up to talking any sense into you. Either of you, I'm guessing. Here, she's all gassed up.
1: All the way back to Wormwood! God damn it, Sparrow! Take the man's keys and let's go! Mr. Mason, I mean, heck, (laughs) best of luck with your self-imposed exile. Now, as much as I'd love to stand around back by the dumpster and smoke Lucky Strikes and chit-chat and stuff, there are far more pressing matters. Come on, Sparrow!
3: Best of luck to you, Crow. You too, Sparrow. It's me It's done They're on their way
2: back to Wormwood Well played, Mr. Mason What did you have to say to make them return?
3: I rambled until something clicked in his eyes
2: Very good My faithful associate, Mr. Albatross Has given the waitress at your establishment All of the money you are owed She is waiting for you In the freezer You son of a bitch Farewell, Mr. Mason. <laughs>
8: of a drowning woman, which brought occult detective Dr. Xander Crow to the strange town of Wormwood, where he unraveled an ancient conspiracy and discovered a lost object of unimaginable power. In the months following, evil has besieged the sleepy foothills town, and the last of Wormwood's citizens guard against a growing threat of unspeakable horror. The final hand in a centuries-old game has been dealt. And now, at long last, all answers will stand revealed as destinies meet and fates intertwine in Wormwood, Revelation. Chapter 1, written by Jeremy Rogers and David Acampo.
6: Did you deliver my message?
3: We did, my queen.
6: I don't like it, simplest vermin. Makes my fur stand on its end. Shut up,
4: fool! i mean
6: no disrespect, queen mother. I honor the pack with my service. No, you are right, boy. To side with the spirits is to go against the law of fang and claw. But the Star Child has led us to the object. We must have it, above all else.
3: The object, in accordance with the prophecy.
6: Yes, pups. Yes, the moonstone. Our birthright. The promise of the eternal hunt. The promise of the world forest. I tire of the humans and their magic of the pale, bloodless vampires. Yes, my pup. And that is why we must take special measures. There is no path for the spirit creatures in the world forest. But in this world, yes, they can subvert the unnatural will of ethereal science. Magic. Rawr!
1: Give me the cool of the night and the pull
3: of the moon.
6: Soon, pups. Soon. Ah, we'll know the quickening pulse of the hunt. But first, prepare the prisoners. I expect our guest will arrive shortly. Grr, prisoners! Grr. I long for the day when I can stalk and eat my prey. I have no love for the arcane strategy of man and spirit.
3: Waiting. I don't like this waiting. How the humans do this, I will never understand.
9: (gasps) But I'm bored.
7: Jacob, stop.
9: It's not like there's anything else to do. Come on.
7: I'm not going to say it.
9: Just once, come on. It'll be cool.
7: (sighs) And then you'll shut up.
9: It's so worth it. (sighs)
7: My name is Henrietta Howe, and I am the Sorcerer Supreme by the Hairy Hosts of Hogarth. Horry,
9: and- Horry. The Horry Hosts of Hogarth.
7: What the hell is Horry?
9: The Hosts of Hogarth.
7: Kid, I don't even know half of the words in that sentence.
9: It's what Dr. Strange says. Who? Dr. Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme? The classic Lee Ditko comic book character?
7: I had a boyfriend once who was into comics. He tried to get me to read them- it seemed a little like perverted wish-fulfillment to me. A lot of spandex and butt-floss. That relationship is about the extent of my knowledge and my interest in your little super-friend.
9: Sup- oh, I am surrounded by Philistines.
7: Why do you want me to say this crap anyway? I told you it's not how this works.
9: Because you're Henry Howe. You have an awesomely alliterative name. Peter Parker, Reed Richards, Bruce Banner.
7: Where's Rachel? Shouldn't you be nerding out on her?
9: The last time I saw Rachel... Don't
7: you dare call her rachel Harmony again.
9: I wasn't going to... Jacob. It's just a little hard to get used to the fact that she's in Harmony's body, okay?
7: And you think your little name game is helping? Listen, Jacob. You want me to give you some advice about your girlfriend? Which one? Cute. Look, I don't have time for this. I'm here because you need protection. My playing relationship counselor isn't in my job description.
9: And why are you here again? You
7: know what? I like to watch cable TV. I miss my cable TV. I find it very relaxing and very comforting. And I haven't had my cable TV in almost six months. Instead, I'm here. With you. So can you give me one good reason why I shouldn't just leave your ass right here in this dank hole in the ground and hitch the first ride out of here?
9: Okay. Okay. Look. We... I... I need you, Henry. When Mr. Mason attacked us in Phineas Thibbert's house, and when Rachel woke up in Harmony's body, when my dad died, it was all too much. Dr. Crow, he told me I was some kind of, I don't know, protector. I guess I thought maybe that meant I was destined to be some kind of superhero, you know?
7: Please don't.
9: No, I mean, look, I get it now. This isn't the Batcave. Watching your dad die doesn't make you anything special. It just makes you scared. Of everything.
7: These things, they always have a price.
9: Dr. Crow, he left me here because he didn't know what else to do. But when you came in, it was like, hey, maybe there's a ray of hope here. And you helped us. You protected us when we needed it the most.
7: I'm really not qualified to be a ray of hope, kid. Somebody paid me to come here and check things out. And then I saw how Xander... How Dr. Crow had left things, and I guess I'm here to clean up his mess. Again.
9: He's a bastard. And if he ever comes back to this town, I'm going to kick his ass myself.
7: I think you're going to have to wait in line, kid.
9: Henry, can I ask you a question? Like, a real private question? Shoot. When Rachel woke up in Harmony's body, there was a part of me that was thinking, Wow, this is perfect. What's your question? Am I sick? Is that, like, kind of twisted?
7: Well, why did you think it's perfect? Because she was in Harmony's
9: body? No, no, I mean, it's not like I wanted Harmony gone. I just... I really missed Rachel, and I never thought I'd get a chance. A chance? Yeah, you know what I mean.
7: So now you have that chance. Yeah,
9: no, no, I mean, because she'll think that I think it's because... You know. It's the blonde girl's body. Exactly! But I swear that's not it.
7: It's really screwed up, Jacob, I'll be honest with you. But this, this confession, it's sweet.
9: But I can't tell her that.
7: Well, it's kind of a strange situation right now.
9: But I mean, you could tell her.
7: <laughs> I am so not playing counselor to you two kids.
9: But you miss television, right? What better reality show is there than this? Two seriously messed up teens living in a cave. It's time to stop being polite and start getting real.
7: Oh, God.
9: Just, look, just don't say anything about us talking, okay?
7: Oh, I won't. I'm going to shoot myself in the face first.
9: Just remember, suicides don't go to heaven.
6: silver-maned elders have long gleaned magics from the minds of feeble men. We have learned hex and curse and enchantment, even though it pains us to do so. We did it in order to stop you. Do you understand? We have battled the spirit kind for centuries. Men who have lost their flesh yet still try to bend the will of the forest to their own ends. Thus, we have taught ourselves enough to bind you and to harness the energy you steal from the flesh and the blood. Your ghosts are our prisoners. Do you see them? Do you see their pale, vaporous forms? writhing in the pain of our binding magics. Do you wish to save them from this pain? From this prison? Do you Colin Crane?
3: Please. Y- you must let them go. I have terms. We never wanted this conflict, your highness. You realize that, don't you? Perhaps some of us did at one time, but... It's a conflict that's as distant a memory
4: as that of our own bones. Buried or burnt, after we left them behind. Don't patronize me! I'm doing no such thing. I can assure you of that. I'm begging for mercy here. Milady, if there's
9: such a thing left in your heart...
4: Ah! Too much talk!
6: It's because it's all you have left, isn't it? Just your voice in the thin breeze. Ah, how I pity your kind.
3: Then let us go.
6: But I need you first. What?
2: What would you have me do?
6: It's about the humans. The living ones.
2: Which humans?
6: You know the ones. Scuttling about in their cave.
4: I
3: won't help you to hurt them. They're kind.
4: They're
6: weak. Do they mean something to you? I... More than your spirit can. A girl. Ah. Perhaps there's some memory of the flesh left to you after all. Oh, well. I don't know how your kind could rut with the living. But she won't be harmed. We only want... Object
3: and your prisoners
6: released upon completion of the pact.
3: All of them. What assurance do I have? Oh,
6: I have no patience for this. Could I sink my eye teeth into your neck? I would, little spirit. When I get what I want, I have no further need of your kind. They are less. Been useless to me. So, tell me, Phantom, tell me, do we have a deal?
5: I don't think we realize just how much impact we have on our surroundings, you know? I'm not sure why I never realized it. Maybe we're just so caught up in our own head. School is all about what they load into your brain, about turning you into a viable adult machine. But somewhere along the way you lose that ability to just be in the world. To throw a rock for the sole purpose of listening to the sound of its impact. The echo, ripples on the water. Every step you take changes the face of the earth. No one realizes that until they don't leave footprints anymore. But if you can understand your own weight in the world, you start to notice all sorts of things. Like the impact you have on other people just being in the same room. Or same small cave, as the case may be. It's so obvious. Jacob. He looks at me, locked in this body, and he's aware of me. That's putting it nicely, isn't it? I know that look. That teenage boy look. It's not like it's anything new. And I think I'd have liked for him to look at me like that. Except it's cheating now, isn't it? This isn't my body. I'm wearing Harmony like a prom dress and Jacob, he's trying so hard to be sensitive about it. Really he is. But despite the unimaginable horror of the past year, he's still a raging torrent of testosterone. Is it bad that I'm starting to think maybe I was better off as a ghost? I'm sorry, is that, like, bad form? I realize it's not something many people get a chance to do. I'm being kind of a spoiled brat about this, aren't I? Yeah. Colin? Colin. Are you out there? I'm being stupid. I know I am. I can't see you anymore. Why would I assume you'd not only find me, but you'd be hovering over me? I guess I miss talking to you. Who do you miss talking to? Oh, hey, just, um, my brother,
7: Dexter. He's the one that the old guy got out of the town, right?
5: Got him to your dad? Yeah, out of Wormwood, out of Lionsville. Out of living in caves and eating food from cans and, well, I miss the brat. You should have gone with him. Nobody should have to deal with this insanity. And yet here you are. I'm a special circumstance. You, on the other hand... Wrong body. How's that for special circumstance? Can you imagine? Dad, hi, it's me, your daughter. I'm a nubile, possibly nympho-blonde cheerleader now. Now watch me mount the top of a human pyramid! I didn't meet Harmony.
7: I mean, the not-you version.
5: Sounds hateable. Oh, she's not. Really. Well, kind of. In that way where she doesn't even have to try to steal your non-boyfriend. But I couldn't leave Jacob anyway. He's trying to be strong, He's a good kid,
7: but in over his head. I just hope he comes away from all this with minimal need for therapy. Having a shrink would mean that he made it through alive, right? You're right. Our personal damage often gives us our color.
5: Yeah. So, speaking of damage, what happened to you, anyway? What do you mean? Your hand. Are you like... I mean, I can see you keep it in a glove and always hidden in your pocket. Were you in an accident or something? Is it the same thing that happened to Dr. Crow? Because his hand was... Yeah, I know. Uh, It's a long story, Rachel, and complicated. Uh, Hello? (laughs) Invasion of the body snatchers over here. I know about complicated. Point taken. Um, I was, um... I guess you could
7: say I was curious, and sometimes curiosity doesn't kill the cat. Sometimes it just leaves it with a torn ear and one good eye.
5: Visceral metaphor. Ew. But, okay, you can do things, though, right? Like, Dr. Crow. Like, we wouldn't be alive without you kind of things? Is there like a one-handed magic club? Sometimes we learn from our scars, I guess. Yeah, I guess being dead is like one big old scar, too. What are you doing over here, anyway? I thought your whole job was to keep an eye on Jacob, with his greater destiny and all that. (laughs) The kid's driving me up a wall.
7: He sees me as his own personal super sorcerer or something, driving me crazy.
5: (laughs) I know. He keeps trying to get me to harness my power to invade other bodies. I think he thinks we're going to be his, like, X-Men team. Or he just wants me out of this body. I don't...
7: Look, I can't pretend to know what it's like for you two, but... I've seen the way he looks at you, Rachel. He's not just looking at her. I remember teenage boys. Lord, do I remember teenage boys. And he is not... Your typical teenage boy.
5: Well, that's certainly the understatement of the year. Typical isn't exactly hanging in a cave with a living dead girl and a... What are you anyway, Henry? I'm the person who's helping you. But why? Because you need it. And you wonder why Jacob
7: thinks of you as his own personal doctor stranger? He's got you with this whole comic book thing, too, doesn't he?
5: It's... a part of his charm.
7: Living in a cave for six months kind of destroys any susceptibility to charm. Or that might be my superpower. Either way.
5: Living in a cave is the easiest part at this point. Which is why you're out here talking to yourself? Something like that. You should try to get some sleep. Sleep isn't any better. It's kind of worse. I just have this dream. It's the same dream every night. It's worse than sleeping in a cave? I'm driving at night. I'm in a car, but it's... I think it's actually Harmony's parents' car, but it it keeps changing. Sometimes it's the interior of the beat-up forest green Porsche that my dad used to drive when I was little. Black leather interior, my hand on the black ball of the stick shift, and I watch the speedometer jump as I hit the gas and lunge forward, I'm like weaving in between trees. And then the road gets very narrow. It becomes a small dirt road, like a beaten footpath through the hills, like the one I used to walk to get to school from my house. But it seems far too narrow to follow. That doesn't really matter because the car isn't really touching the road anymore. I'm drifting, like I'm driving on ice, sliding, but at the same time, there's no real weight to any of it. Just the forward motion. I think I wanna slow down, but I know I can't. I keep checking the rear view mirror like I'm being chased. The moon hangs over everything, but I can't see behind us. Can barely make out the trees. The road, if it even still exists, is as black as the night. The trail keeps rushing under me and I'm searching to stay in line with the faintest curve between the trees and the rocks as I keep driving up and up and up like, like a mountain, but I can't even see the peak. I just know the sky is getting bigger, the stars are almost under me now, and I'm terrified. I know something's not right. And then, and then I realize, I'm not looking out the rear window. I'm looking into the back seat, and it's black back there. It's as black as the night, but I realize that something's there, sitting in the seat. The moonlight casts the tiniest edge of light on a form. There's something behind me, in the car with me. And they start to lean in closer, and I can feel the pressure of fingers on the back of the driver's seat, pressing into the leather. And that's when I wake up. Christ, kid, that's... that's awful. Do you think it means something? I think it means we need to get you out of this cave. Rachel. Probably. I swear, I'm starting to hear things. Your name? Rachel. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. No, no,
7: no, no. I hear it, too. You what?
5: Oh, my God. It's Colin. Colin?
7: Who's Colin?
5: Colin! Where are you? Are you in the cave? Nobody can get in the cave. Colin! Where are you? Rachel, please. No one can get inside the cave, and if we leave... You don't understand, Henry. He's a ghost. He's a friend. It's okay. Colin! Rachel? Rachel, it's me. Colin! I can't... I can't really see you. I'm here. At the mouth of the cave. I can't... I can't enter the cave. There's something blocking me. I know. It's a... it's a thingy. We set it up to keep the nasties out. Rachel, I... I have some information. Please, may I enter? Henry, can you let him in?
7: I can't. I... I mean, I have to break the plane of... Well, it's kind of complicated. I can't risk letting anything in. It will shut everything down.
5: Rachel, it's important. I have... I have information. It's about your friend. Harmony? You've seen Harmony? I know where she is. Henry, you don't have to shut this down, but I'm going out there. I can't let you do that, Rachel. Well, you can't stop me. Rachel, no. You can't break the barrier. What the hell?
3: Rachel, I'm so sorry. Attack! Kill the mage! Kill the boy! Find the fallen star!
5: Colin, what did you do?
3: I'm terribly... Oh, I'm so terribly sorry.
5: Henry! Who the hell do you mucks
7: think you're dealing with? Jacob, if you can hear me, get your ass in gear, kid. Containment breach. Let's show them what we got. He's got a gun. Silver buckshot, courtesy of my favorite little deputy. Run, Rachel. Go. We'll follow. But, but... Go, damn it, Now.
8: Is a serialized mystery podcast produced by Habit Forming Films, LLC. The Wormwood cast includes Arthur Russell as Dr. Xander Crow, Sonia Perozzi as Sparrow and Rachel Nolan, Peter Dirksen as Jimmy Details and Jonesy, Rob Grindliger as Sheriff Bradley and Don Marino, Anna Maganini as Lynette Bradley, Commander McQueen, and the Wolf Queen, Nicole Brayburn. as as Deedra Frost and Harmony Barrister, Ben Bootman, as Chip Drexel and Bishop Grail, Zachary Folks as Adramelac and Colin Crane, Dave Johnston, as Deputy Wayne Drexel, David Acampo as Jacob Kitter, Morgan Walsh, as Sister George, Samantha Turk as Henry Howe, Robert W. Allen, as Special Agent Elijah Votek, Rione James as Miss Ginter, and Joe J. Thomas as Abacus Brescia, Hank Mason, and your announcer. Additional voices provided by the talented cast. Original music composed by Todd Hodges. Audio recording engineered by Greg Wilkinson. The Wormwood writing staff includes Jeremiah Allen, Rob Allspaw, Paul Montgomery, and Tiffany K. Whitney. Executive producers David Acampo and Jeremy Rogers. Wormwood created by David Acampo and Jeremy Rogers. Please visit www.wormwoodshow.com for episode guides, cast and crew information, and other original content. Season 1, The Drowned Woman, Season 2, Crossroads, and Season 3, including Five Fingers of Glory and Portraits, are available online now. Thank you for listening, and welcome to town.
0: And that was a bit of Wormwood. If you have not uh, followed the whole Wormwood story, I suggest you do. Wormwoodshow.com. Of course, I mentioned Sparrow and Crow. Sparrow and Crow, Crow, uh, C-R-O-W-E.com is where the the continuation graphic novel um, that has spun off from all this with additional stories has appeared. Um, And there are three, maybe four volumes of comic books available now um sparrowandcrow.com or wormwoodshow.com uh type in wormwood into itunes i think we'll also find what you're looking for there um and uh yeah this is kind of our way into the horror mode we've got a lot of really awesome pieces lined up for you this month as always uh halloween is kind of our penultimate month for horror um for all audio drama but especially the horror uh you know terrifying audio seems to be the piece that Um, Even people who aren't aware of audio drama suddenly find themselves around Halloween hankering for a good spooky bloody story and we've got plenty more in store for you this month on Radio Drama Revival. Um, Of course also on our archives at RadioDramaRevival.com. We've got a link to all of our uh, previous horror programming and we've got tons and tons of excellent stuff we featured over the years. Uh, Go to RadioDramaRevival.com forward slash horror for that, um, or to search the archives, find us on iTunes, search Radio Drama Revival, Um, hit us up on Stitcher, again, Radio Drama Revival, Facebook.com slash Radio Drama Revival or at Radio Drama on Twitter. Um, Leave a review, tell your friends, uh, go explore. This show has been designed so that uh, if you have heard something cool that you like, and you want more material like it, that you will go uh, hear something here and go explore more. Um, this is the, the launching off part for a whole adventure in audio, and I hope you uh, enjoy the ride. And with that said, we are done for this week. Go out, listen to some more good stuff. Uh, radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly. That's me, Fred. Copyright of individual episodes remains their original producers, but do please share this show in its entirety, uncut, as far and widely as you like. Radio Drama Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM, that is Southern Mains community radio this podcast at radio drama revivalcom is a labor of love till next time keep your mind and your ears open thanks for tuning in and have a great week